a Wednesday. It is time now to join Cruz McElligan for her audio column. And the subject always gets me interested. Now, today she's talking malls. Good afternoon to you. Hello. Good afternoon, Sadia. So, now, don't tell me you're not sitting in a mall or anything. You've not been doing your shopping or anything, have you? (laughs) No, no, I'm not. Um, But it it was... There's a reason I'm talking about shopping malls today. Mm -hmm. It's because I'm often fascinated by how, uh, in different cultures, different things are interpreted differently. So um, we often see everything through a very Western lens in the media of like, this is how, you know, this is what this is. And then in other parts of the world, like in Asia, something might not be like that. And I was reading an article about shopping malls that was really kind of like um, quite a sort of damning consumeristic article about these soulless places designed for mindless spending and it got me thinking a little bit more about Hong Kong because we have a lot of shopping malls Mm. we have a lot of them and I was kind of reflecting a little bit on what they're like here versus the ones that I have been to in for example the US right Mm -hmm. and I was kind of thinking about how sometimes it's not always it's not always the same, but there's such interesting cultural institutions in modern history, whether you are looking at them with a lens from Asia or you're looking at them with a lens from the US. Um, and I just wanted to chat about it because I was kind of intrigued by how they came about, of course, how they're doing now with the rise of online shopping and everything else. And also in Hong Kong, how how we kind of have them as part of our experience of the city. Mm-hmm. So to backtrack a little bit, Um, When we think about the shopping, the mall, (laughs) Mm -hmm. if you will, right, it's that shop till you drop idea that kind of came, reached its peak in the sort of 1980s with these sort of enclosed malls and things like that. And they kind of, um, when we look back at the history of like, who was the first person to think of this concept of having a shopping mall, right? Mm -hmm. Like rather than a main street in your town where you had your shops. And the original mall was actually inspired by European markets. There was a visionary architect called Victor Gruen, who was first commissioned to design a shopping center in Edina, Minnesota in 1952. And he looked to his home city of Vienna for inspiration. So this was about 75 shops filling two levels of retail space. And at the center of it all, he built his version of what was kind of a European piazza. So an indoor courtyard sort of thing, complete with the fountains, goldfish ponds, sculptures, plant life, that kind of piazza feel. But enclosed within a shopping mall and that that made this place that he created the Southdale Center um, a place not just to shop but to relax and socialize and then this idea of a mall as a social hub gained a lot of popularity when his design was used as a model for more malls across the country now of course it wasn't popular for everybody and um, actually while it was the, the shopping mall was met with glowing reviews from most people when it opened in 1956 Frank Lloyd Wright's absolutely hated it. In fact, he expressed his distaste to the Star Tribune. He said, you've got a garden court that has all the evils of the village street and none of its charm. Who would want to sit in such a desolate looking spot? Right. So it was quite a polarizing thing. You have like quite intellectual, like architectural design thinking, really looking down on this kind of consumer center. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And interestingly, it didn't take long to, for Victor Gruen himself to follow along that same thought process. He lived long enough to see the shopping mall transform American culture in the late 1970s. And what he saw really disturbed him. So the spirit of kind of architectural innovation and community that he had envisioned for the original shopping mall um, had been really sanitized from all the facsimiles that had been created of the shopping mall across the states just to maximize profit and to drive it as this giant shopping machine. And he was not happy about that. Um, He was so dismayed by this, um, what he'd created. He announced in a 1978 speech, I refuse to pay alimony for those (laughs) developments. There was a rude word in there. Um, So it's very interesting that that's how it became. And now we look at malls today, and I've never been to, I've only been to a handful of malls in the U.S., like nothing like the Mall of America, for example, which I only know through pop culture or television or movies. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you ever heard of the Mall of America? No, actually, I haven't. Where is that? Oh, so the Mall of America is in Bloomington, Minnesota, and it is um, the largest shopping mall on Earth. It opened in 1992. It has 530 stores, 4.9 million square feet, and is home to an amusement park, an aquarium, flight simulators, a comedy club, a children's museum, a mirror maze, a mini golf center. Like, it's everything. A block of flats. (laughs) (laughs) It's absolutely everything. And um, so, so that's kind of what we've gotten to, what we got to at that point, right? Like, and um, we're going to talk a little bit about the death of the mall in a minute. But that was kind of peak mall. That was the ultimate place to go for a lot of people. Interestingly, they've also become a, a kind of a taken on a bit of a dark turn in, in providing settings for kind of horror movies and being the sort of metaphor for mindlessness. And if we look at um. For example, uh, you know, the classic zombie film Night of the Living Dead, Mm -hmm. which was directed by George Romero. So Romero headed to the shopping mall for his sequel, Dawn of the Dead, in 1978. Um, And he told the BBC in 1987 the choice to set a zombie movie in a mall was very intentional because he said right then it was just the beginning of that mall culture where you went there and you hung out all day. And he said, my impression of walking through, going through this sort of ritualistic, unnatural, consuming experience was that we really do become zombies in a mall. (laughs) And so it's quite interesting. But there is a name for that hypnotic effect that some Mm. malls have, that sort of sense of loss of time and geography when you're wandering around a shopping mall, and that sort of feeling of kind of pleasant disorientation, which you also get in places like casinos, for example. (laughs) That's known as the Gruen transfer, after Victor Gruen, the man who came up with the first mall. So he would be absolutely horrified, poor guy. But... um, but, um, yes, yeah, so like that, they're, they're laid out in that way that invites consumers to consume endlessly without offering them a clear way out. And this, ex- um, this kind of, as they explain, this um, corrodes a shopper's self-control because after walking around a windowless maze of stores for a while, you forget what you're looking for and you're given yeah. to the impulse to buy more easily. Absolutely. Right, yeah. So <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Now, what's, um, what's really fascinating, it doesn't mean that this has just been a... a, a meteoric rise that continues, um, shopping malls have been one of the many industries disrupted by the rise of the internet. So hundreds of malls have shuttered in the past few decades and hundreds more are expected to close in the next five years. And there's actually a website in the States called deadmalls.com dedicated to documenting the ruins of malls. I wouldn't be able to look at these photos. I find those kinds of abandoned spaces give me massive anxiety. Mm. They make me very, very sad. But 
It is interesting to think about it in those terms, that we now have these spaces that aren't like that, that they're, they're quite dead. And um, I know I've read a few articles in the past about um, kind of malls in their hospice phase, you know, where they're fading mm. out and mm. each shops are show, slowly shuttering and it's not the heyday that it once was in that consumeristic era. But I have to say, when I think back to Hong Kong and I think about the kinds of malls we have here, I find it a little bit different. I, I don't, we have such a, a broad spectrum of malls. Like, I wouldn't say that I, I remember being a teenager, for example, before Pacific Place was the really luxury high-end mall that is today. Mm. And remembering it had one stationary shop that I could afford things in, okay. and it had a McDonald's. So oh. I would go with my friends because it had a stationary shop and a McDonald's and a cinema. Mm -hmm. And that was somewhere we could go to like escape the Hong Kong heat for a few hours, right? And just sort of hang out together. Um, but then of course there's other malls where you have the kind of the big, the big malls that we have, things like Times Square, which um, I can honestly say I haven't actually been to in probably a couple of years, to be honest. Mm. Um, it's one of the, that was one of the city's first mega malls and it opened in 1994. And with 16 stories, mm. um, you know, it's very vertical and everything else. Um, and it has 230 stores, all these sorts of things. It has quite a wide range of shops from memory. And I think, you know, that it doesn't have just high-end designer labels. It has some more affordable labels too. And then it has, you know, the, the Causeway Bay MTR being so well connected to it that you've got supermarket no excuse, you've got is there? <laughs> that's right pardon i said there's no excuse once you're there you're in there and you're and in there easily accessible to everything absolutely um and then you've got places like ifc right which is um you know extremely high-end luxury mm -hmm. 800,000 square feet and that's interesting as well because that mall has you know the four seasons hotel attached to it you know it's underneath where the hong kong monetary authority is it's some of the most exclusive office space in hong kong um you know and it has these incredible leading brands and of course it's very well connected to the hong kong um you know the uh, airport express station so it's sometimes one of the first places people get to when they arrive in hong kong is somehow find themselves in the ifc mall if they've taken the airport express into the city Mm. So it's it's kind of interesting. Do you have a mall that you ever go to? Yeah, well, here? not far from where I am is the K11, the new massive big ah. solid building that you see. And that is like huge. But there is something about that, that, you know, just the whole design of the actual K11 itself inside, you know, there are beautiful, like very rich it's a very rich designed mall with lots of wood and lots of um, steel and, and mm. it, you know, it is worth going there. I mean, you know, I have seen some of the shops. There's quite, it's high end, obviously, but um, but in terms of just the actual sort of ambience there and the the architecture and the beauty and it's a bit kitsch, you know, a little bit, but, mm. um, but in, in a very interesting mall there. And then they have a food section, they have a cinema. So that is the closest to me. And then you've got Harbour City, which is, um, you know, next to the water and, you know, quite few of the people who are on yachts and things like that stop there and go shopping. So, mm. I mean, I think, as you said, you know, um, Hong Kong has a real variety of different types of malls, depending upon the kind of mood you're in, I suppose. I think so, too. And I think what's interesting in Hong Kong and how we think about malls is that because we are a dense urban city, we have a large population and we're all quite on top of each other anyway. So it, there's a lot of it makes a lot of sense to have a mall. A lot of our uh, like a lot of our malls have quite a lot of um, 
convenience things placed in like yes you might have a luxury mall with a lot of uh, brand name labels but you also may have utilities that you require there as well whether it's like banking outlets or anything else and also of course the way that we live it's it's so fascinating how some malls uh people have to walk through a mall to get to their home. So like MTR malls, for example, a lot of MTR stops I can think of, if you lived quite nearby to them, the way that it's designed is you have to walk through the mall when you go home. And and they're not always um, malls where you're buying Cartier watches, right? It might be that there's a welcome and a McDonald's and another restaurant or a convenience shop or a homeware store. So it's it's not always that they're, it's like it's a mall, but it doesn't seem to be a mall in the way that we would see it in a movie if you know what I mean. Mm. Um, and I also think there's something about malls in, um, in Hong Kong as being real hubs of um, life, daily life. It's where, you know, we have so many restaurants in our malls. You know, some of the, when we think about the fact some there's five, like, Michelin-style restaurants within shopping centers in Hong Kong, right? Wow, yeah. You know, like, I mean, right. it's, it's a kind of a strange concept for any other place in the world when you think about it. If you can imagine going to New York and having to walk through a shopping center, you know, where you can get your parking validated to, to, to go to a Michelin star restaurant. But that's just how we do things here. We, we have everything together. And I also think about it in terms of the fact that they, they're not always these soulless places. They're quite convenient. One of the first places we ever went with my daughter, who was adopted here in Hong Kong, was to a kind of a small mall nearby where she was staying, you know. And it was, that was my, our first place to socialize with our daughter was inside a mall. That was the, the option we had, you know what I mean? Well, they're kind of a place to escape as well, if you think, because, you know, with the heat of Hong Kong, um, mm. the mall is like, you think... Oh, go in there, take a take deep a breath. breath. <laughs> That's right. And then because they're just there and there is everything in there for you to survive. So so you end up spending hours alone and you do get lost and you it's probably a good exercise routine, isn't it? <laughs> I think so too. It is very interesting and it's very, they're so ubiquitous here in Hong Kong. It's hard to keep track of where the mall ends and the public space begins. And I do think, not always, but I do think it's interesting how different um, brands or companies or like um, public uh, public infrastructure has has made use of that differentiation you know we we have exhibitions in malls in hong kong now mm. you know i remember like in ifc there's been some incredible interactive exhibitions they had like i remember quite a few years ago they had a a preserved baby mammoth that had gone around the world <laughs> that was on display for free and like I of course, that one. <laughs> oh yes but you see like it's like you know where well, they have a display of dinosaurs or they have you know think about the landmarks christmas displays that they do and of course we can all appreciate that the undercurrent is to get people to put their feet into the mall and hopefully put their feet into the shops but also those spaces do blur that line of public space i was reading a wonderful account of when um times square originally was um, developed, uh, guards would shoo people away from busking and sitting on that kind of plaza area outside on the street in Causeau Bay until a, a closer look at their land lease revealed that that's actually public space. <laughs> people All can right. do whatever they like, yeah. you know, and, and actually as a result, that public space is very dynamic and over the years has seen some really cool kind of installations or sculptures or interactive activities or showcases or musicians or whatever it is. And so it's quite a fascinating idea that we have in Hong Kong, this kind of use of these these spaces. But then also, I think, you know, at the same time, it is all, you know, 
grounded around a consumeristic culture, but also they're places also for our um, our population to gather and be. So in other countries, you might not have elderly people who all meet in the the you know the food court of a shopping centre mm. every day. Whole culture has you know? changed. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because before um, it was just the high street, really, wasn't it? Absolutely, and um, and it's a, it's a way of us having places for people to just be. That you know, um, you have those landmarks to meet somebody at. Is you know, different sort of installations within a shopping mall setting, um, which is quite interesting. And of course, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm a big shopper, but I do always find it quite uplifting to see when you not maybe not those huge mega malls that we have here, and we have many many of them, but to see some of those smaller malls. Um, that we have all over Hong Kong, um, which, you know, which really are places that community can gather, where, like you said, you know, elderly people first thing in the morning can escape the heat, sit inside on some benches and catch up with friends. Okay, maybe not as much with COVID, but, you know, this is something that was happening in the past. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's quite that's quite remarkable. I mean, I won't I won't lie. There's some um, malls in Hong Kong that I know people will swear by that terrify me. Sogo has always terrified me. It's too much. I can't. You know, I thought I was the only one who felt like that. Actually, oh, no. I was finding it difficult to know. Do I go on this lift or do I take the escalator? Or and then once I'm in, how do I get out? Yes, absolutely. And I always find whenever I someone says to me, I'm like, do you know where I could get this? Like uh, this kind of water yeah. filter or this? Oh, Sogo. I'm like, then I'm not going to get. It. Yeah. it will. I will never get the item I need because I will never go to Sogo to get it. You'll never get out. <laughs> You'll never get out again. But it is just quite. Um, it is just kind of uh, fascinating in that way. And I know that with um, Hong Kong's really stepping up to become a design city in a lot of ways as well. That um, it's nice to see that some of those, most of those malls, are trying to find interesting ways to integrate kind of more inclusive community projects as well. And it's kind of evident that that's been something that we've seen in COVID as well, because these are spaces that were being used that then became somewhere that you could have, okay, near this mall, we can have a, you know, a testing center or we can have a collection point or something like that, because we know people will come here. We know people will congregate here. You know, I mean, in terms of like, it's, it's going to be accessible for people. So it's kind of interesting. Um, but it was just, uh, I just thought it was a, a fascinating kind of way to look at when we look at, like you said, like something like K11 being this art mall. Mm. It's fascinating. It is, it is quite nice just to go in there. And I recall that before COVID uh, took over, they had an amazing, um, you know, and I had the guests actually on, on the studio, in the studio to talk about it, but they did a whole bit of opera and they had dancers and they had singers and they have a massive big escalator there and it was just an amazing venue to do this. And they were performing in the actual centre itself. So it was almost like a, a, a stage in itself. Um, but it's such a shame because, you know, after that, COVID came along and that was it. But but the potential there to, you know, to do an event like that is quite amazing. And it was stunning because, the, you know, the whole atmosphere there and the decoration there is quite amazing. So it's worth worth visiting if you haven't seen it. It's just mm. relatively new. It's only a couple of years old, really. Absolutely. And it's, um, it is amazing. I remember every year at Christmas, there'll be a list that comes out online with people saying, OK, what's your list of the best Christmas light displays at malls in Hong Kong? Mm. And so people take your kids on a little kind of Christmas pilgrimage from one to the other to take photos of, you know, um, all the different kinds of things that happen. So it, it's just very interesting to see that, you know, um, how has Hong Kong culture, for example, impacted 
the way our malls have been developed or how have our malls impacted Hong Kong culture. And of course, the mall itself has the potential to either sort of erode urban public life or it can enhance it and it can contribute it, it can contribute to it. Um, and because, you know, Hong Kong is a city of so many contradictions, um, it's very interesting to think of it in that, ple- in that way that, you know, we could say, oh, there's too many malls, but then what would happen if we suddenly removed all of the malls from Hong Kong? We wouldn't have these public spaces that people use for so much of their lives for, you know, for groceries, for socialising, yeah, it's become a shopping. focal point now, that's right, absolutely. Absolutely. Great. I have a couple of quotes um, to finish on, Sadia, mm-hmm. which, um, again, is just interesting because it's uh, these are quotes from Bill Bryson, um, mainly focused on the U.S., on shopping malls in the U.S., and mm-hmm. it's just been very interesting to reflect on these as they as they refer to um, Hong Kong. So the first one is roads get wider and busier and less friendly to pedestrians and all of the development based around cars like big sprawling shopping malls. Everything seems to be designed for the benefit of the automobile and not the benefit of the human being. And it's so interesting to read that when we think about Hong Kong's shopping malls are the opposite. Our shopping malls are accessible by foot. You know, they're for foot traffic. They're for accessible by public transportation. They're not necessarily, okay, yes, a lot of them have car parks, but the majority of them are designed to be places people can walk into, right? Mm. And similarly, he says, America is a great disappointment to me. As I said in one of my books, other societies create civilizations. We build shopping malls. And then you think of somewhere like Hong Kong and something like K-11, and you think that's quite innovative and artistic and quite expressive. So does the same apply here? Are people in Hong Kong, are our designers and innovators pushing the boundaries, or are they really just finding different ways to get feet through the door to consume? I'm sure they are, but they're doing it in a way that we're also benefiting from some other cool stuff. Well, it's been absolutely enlightening, honestly. I will not look at a mall in another word in any other way again. (laughs) Cruz, thank you so much for today, and um, I'll say goodbye to you now and look forward to talking to you again next week. Take care. And now...